Hello, you're listening to the Skylight Books podcast series. We are a general interest independent bookstore located in the Los Feliz neighborhood of Los Angeles, California. This year, because of the coronavirus pandemic, we've had to close our store and cancel in-person events. But Skylight is your neighborhood bookstore, and we are finding ways to create community even while we're far apart. In the coming weeks, we'll be putting out lots of new audio content to help you discover new books, connect with authors, and check in with your favorite booksellers. To learn more about how you can help keep Skylight alive, please visit our website at skylightbooks.com or check out our social media accounts on Twitter and Instagram. You can subscribe to the podcast on Podbean, iTunes, and Spotify. Thank you for listening and enjoy. Hello, Skylight Books, friends of Skylight Books. Um, this is Lulu Miller, and I am coming at you with just a little a little audio extra for your ears, as none of us can hang out right now. Um, I was supposed to be coming out to the bookstore to, to, to do a reading and a little event this month for my new book, my first book, possibly my only book, because, wow, that, that bleep is bleep that bleep is hard um normally I work in radio I'm the co-founder of Invisibilia and got my start out at Radio Lab so the the sciencey narrative flavor of, of public radio um but of course I can't come out there right now because I wouldn't be safe for anybody so I am I am doing my part to flatten the curve um I'm very, very inside my <laughs> my apartment in Chicago. Um, my kid just went down for a nap. My wife just went down for a nap. Um, and so I thought I'd take a moment to... Uh, the, the folks at Skylight asked me to just read a little excerpt. So I, I, wanted, to, I wanted to read something. I'm actually going to go... Am I going to go out onto my balcony? I'm not sure. My neighbor can see me and he's, he's smoking a cigarette and might just like think this is too weird with my headphones and the microphone and we just moved here and I don't really know anyone yet we haven't been able to meet anyone because we moved on like the first day of shelter in place um I might be too shy to go on my balcony okay so yeah all right we're just gonna do this in here anyway I'm gonna read an excerpt and uh I was thinking about what to read in this moment um this is my this is from my 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 book why fish don't exist it is a nonfiction adventure story about a scientist from the 1800s and early 1900s who was on a quest to kind of try to figure out the order of the natural world. And that impulse, that desire to make chaos known led him to some really interesting places. Um, And the book also weaves in a little bit about myself. Didn't start out that way, but the memoir happened. The memoir spun spun its way in in places. Um, And kind of I look at a moment in his life where he's in utter destruction, trying to figure out how to move forward and kind of connect it with my own life, um, trying to climb my way kind of out of hurt, destruction that, that I've mostly brought upon myself. But uh, yeah, so it's, the book is very much about how to go on when chaos just ruins all your plans. And um, if optimism is dangerous and foolish, or if it might be the kind of 
lifeboat you need to keep going. So that's that's the what's one of the main questions of the book. My hope is that it sort of reads like a thriller, um, that it doesn't waste too much of your time. I wanted it to be a novella uh, length thing or a non-vella because it's nonfiction, uh, but it spiraled a little, but it's barely, it's like barely over a hundred pages. I mean, it is, it's more, it's like 150 pages, but there's pictures. So anyway, my hope is that it reads like a thriller. Uh, and let me, let me just, uh, cut the suspense here and, and jump to one part. So I was thinking about what to read right now. And, you know, we're about a month into sheltering in place here in Chicago. And, um, I think, I don't know about you, but I have definitely had moments of <laughs> just feeling down and overwhelmed and know a lot of friends are starting to hit that point of feeling grateful that they're healthy but scared for a family member who's having to go in or just starting to get batty and I think you know I think this is a in some ways for those of us who have our health like we're grateful but that it's also a, a, an intense time getting to be an intense time emotionally to have a lot of the ways we all might usually help ourselves stay up taken away um and so the book there's a there's a mo there's a couple moments of the book that are kind of deal with that and uh here's one so the guy I write about the scientist his name is David Starr Jordan and uh about halfway through the book I'm trying to figure out how he gets so optimistic his whole fish collection is destroyed or most of his fish collection is destroyed by an earthquake and um and he's and he just keeps going. The, he invents this new way of ordering fish, and he just he seems unfazed. And so I'm looking through all his work to try to figure out how he stays so optimistic, because he also at the same time is really committed to seeing an accurate worldview. That's what his whole profession and mission is to do: is to see the world clearly. And so, um, and my dad is very much that way. He has kind of a nihilistic, bordering on depressive worldview of how doomed our chances are and how meaningless it all is. So anyway, I'm 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 looking through all of David's writing, and he's written children's books and poems and scientific texts. And here I go, and I'm not finding an answer about how he how he kept going when everything seemed so hopeless. All right. At last, I got my hands on what looked like the most promising lead a small black book called The Philosophy of Despair. In it, David confesses that the trouble with the scientific worldview was that when you pointed it at the meaning of life, it shows you one thing, futility. The fires we kindle die away in coals. Castles we build vanish before our eyes. The river sinks in the sands of the desert. Whichever way we turn, we may describe the course of life in metaphors of discouragement. So what were you supposed to do? Puritan that he is, David recommends the unidling of hands. The, quote, soul ache vanishes, he writes, with active out-of-door life and the consequent flow of good health. He claims that salvation lies in the electricity of our bodies. Happiness comes from doing, helping, working, loving, fighting, conquering, he writes in a syllabus from around the same time, from the exercise of functions, from self-activity. Don't overthink it. I think is his point. Enjoy the journey. Savor the small things, the, quote, luscious taste of a peach, the, quote, lavish colors of tropical fish, the rush from exercise that allows one to experience the, quote, stern joy which warriors feel. Toward the end of the book, he quotes Thoreau, there is no hope for you unless the bit of sod under your feet is the sweetest to you in this world, in any world. <laughs> 
and then he sends his readers off with a rousing chant of carpe diem. Nowhere is the sky so blue, the grass so green, the sunshine so bright, the shades so welcome as right here, now, today. And if you're having a bad day, well, David has very little sympathy for people having bad days. The ultimate conclusion of the philosophy of despair is that despair is a choice. While he thinks it's a natural phase of adolescence, he mocks those who can't shake it. He calls them lazy, whiny posers who are putting on the, quote, fad of the drooping spirit to imitate the sad kings of literature. He accuses them of having sulfurous breath, the whiff of death. He says the problem with spending one's time pondering the futility of it all is that you divert that precious electricity gifted to you by evolution, those sacred ions that could make you feel so many wonderful sensations and think so many wonderful ideas. And you flush it all down the drain of existential inquiry, causing you to literally, quote, die while the body is still alive. I felt a familiar shame washing over me. It was the same feeling I'd get when I'd watch my dad belly flop into a frigid lake and emerge whooping with a frothy smile. Why was I so unable to live like him? What was I doing wrong? Desperate for an answer, I kept reading, ransacking David's diatribes on hygiene, on humor, on diplomacy, on pacifism, on poems, his lecture notes, his polemics against alcohol and lipstick and war. And finally, one afternoon, I found it. An antidote to terror. A recipe for hope. It was buried at the bottom of a syllabus for a course he taught called Philosophy of Evolution. It turned out that he devoted a whole course day to my very conundrum, the problem with accepting the scientific worldview. Do these views of life lead to pessimism? Toward the end of his lecture, he offers his students a kind of magic spell, a way of diffusing the chill of chaos. In courier type, just 31 letters long. There is grandeur in this view of life. I was horrified. There it was, my dad's very same trick. The words that hang in a frame over his desk to this very day. Darwin's call to arms. So context here. Earlier in the book, I talk about how this idea that Darwin writes about, that there is grandeur in this view of life, a view with no intelligent design and no intentional meaning, that, that, that everything coming about accidentally is, is beautiful. And that really fuels my dad. But I had trouble seeing as much grandeur. So to, to see that here in the scientist same as his same reason of going on was very eerie and, and frustrating too. Uh, as different as David had seemed from my dad, as defiant and hopeful and full of faith, he had nothing new to offer me at all. Just a reminder of what I'd always been told. There is grandeur. And if you can't see it, shame on you. I decided to do the thing that best helped me hope drink. Red wine or beer or whiskey, I didn't care. I was still in Chicago. It had been two months. Now it was December. I was freelancing, writing for a science blog, and filing as many radio stories as I could. I did one about violence in crickets, one about violence in humans, one about violence in ticks. Heather and I filled the evenings by cooking, watching movies, sometimes going to talks. I'd make sure each activity came with an alcoholic beverage, and another, and another. It felt great to feel, quote, warmth without warrant. That's a reference to him, David talking about the dangers of drinking. I could rediscover my laughter, the springs that made my smile go, 
When I'd awake the next morning, the world would feel extra bleak, yes. My face extra puffy and unlovable, yes, but I'd just wait until evening when I could try to make it all go sparkly again. One night, I met a friend, Stanzi, at a bar in Rogers Park. We ordered stouts and talked about our work and started talking about our work. She was working on a project to try to make poetry work on the radio. We started talking about the ideas-word divide, how it can be hard to watch your words fall flat before another person, how lonely it can feel with, how lonely it can feel inside a head with ideas you can't figure out how to spit out, and the dangerous power of the few who seem to understand you. I told Stanzi about my obsession with David Starr Jordan, the earthquake, the sewing needle. So it's sort of about why, I said, what drives a person to keep going. All she said was, huh, in the moment, and I felt a little deflated. But a longer reply came the next afternoon via email. And your story, the man who builds something so precious, so ornate, only to see it all crumble, where does he relocate his will to go on? Kafka calls it the indestructible, the thing at the bottom of each individual that keeps going whether they feel like going or not. The indestructible is a place that has nothing to do with optimism. Instead, it's something far deeper and less far self and far less far less self-conscious than optimism. The indestructible is the thing we mask with all sorts of other symbols, hopes, and ambitions that don't force you to acknowledge what is underneath. Well, if you do, or are forced to remove all those excesses, you get the indestructible, and you acknowledge it. And once you acknowledge it, Kafka goes deeper. He doesn't let you think the indestructible is optimistic or positive. Instead, it is the thing that could actually rip us apart and destroy us. And so it goes. I loved it. The indestructible, it was a glorious concept because it gave me permission to not have to answer the question of if I was mad to keep charging towards unrealistic goals. It promised simply that if I disobeyed it, it would tear me apart. But I didn't think it quite fit David Starr Jordan. The indestructible seemed like an affliction for fools, romantic, sad, king-loving posers, so fueled by an internal passion it could fog up their view of the world. But David Starr Jordan? No way. His entire life work was committed to wiping away the steam that such passion can leave upon the lenses of the eyes. But I wanted to make sure. So I went back to his memoir, armed with this new word, indestructible. I searched for evidence of it, hiding in David's descriptions. I reread the sections about Rufus's death, Susan's death, Barbara's death, the lightning strike, the earthquake, and then I saw it buried in a lengthy excerpt in microscopic font. It was a quotation of his own work, a personal essay he had written just a few days after the earthquake while he was still raw trying to process the extent of the damage to San Francisco. Quote, Never since man began to plan and to create had there been such a destruction of the results of human effort. Never has a great calamity been met with so little repining. Never before has the common man shown himself so hopeful, so courageous, so sure of himself and his future. For it is man, after all, that survives, and it is the will of man that shapes the fates. It is the lesson of the earthquake and fire that man cannot be shaken and cannot be burned. The houses he builds are houses of cards, but he stands outside them and can build again. It is a wonderful thing to build a great city. More wonderful still is it to be a city, for a city is composed of men, and forever man must rise above his own creations. That which is in man is greater than all that he can do. What a wonderful, rousing call to arms. What a glorious pat on the back and squeeze of the shoulders. With only one tiny problem. And then I go on to pick apart 
what that is and then fall down a very strange rabbit hole of his story. Uh, so yeah, that is an excerpt from the book. Maybe a weird one to read. Sorry, it had a lot of parts I had to explain. But um, yeah, part of the book, a big part of the book really does grapple with with what to do when you're just kind of wrecked. And um, there are parts like that that are kind of searching. And, and then there are parts that are just kind of classic interesting in my opinion wild story so I would love it if you if you check it out but mostly 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 I hope that you stay safe and find ways to be connected I think creativity is the thing we all need to lean into right now um and just remembering there are ways to reach out and so this is one little one little attempt and um man I hope you support Skylight that's the main thing you don't have to buy my weird book just buy some books from them indies are hurting bad right now and I think independent book stores are one of the last like beautiful little spaces in a neighborhood that make a neighborhood that can that can make a place for all kinds of people to convene um young old devilish obedient all the flavors of humanity can find a, a little thing a little excitement in a bookstore and and I know that this is really hurting hurting them bad so so yeah hopefully if you've made it to the end of all this rambling um if you do anything go 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 buy some book a, a little book of poetry a children's book a weird novel my weird book whatever but uh but keep them healthy keep them strong and um oh and wish on a star that I can come out there someday because I would really love to a lot okay bye Thank you for listening to the Skylight Books podcast series. Please don't forget to visit our website at skylightbooks.com and make sure to follow us on Twitter and Instagram. Also, don't forget to subscribe to this podcast for more author talks and bookseller conversations. You can find us on Podbean, iTunes, and Spotify. Stay safe and healthy, and we hope to see you back in our store soon. I see.